Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with the University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois. And today we have got one jam-packed show for you. We have Robert Richardson with us. But before we get to Robert, who is the president of the Illinois Christmas Tree Association, mind you, we must introduce Katie Parker, our local foods and small farms educator near Quincy, Illinois. Hello, Katie. Hello, Chris. How's it going? Can't complain. It's a dark, dreary, uh, what is it, Tuesday afternoon. It's cold. I'm ready to talk about Christmas trees. What about you? Oh, it's a beautiful day here in Ursa. Um, and yeah, speaking of Christmas trees, do you have yours up yet? Oh, yeah. It's been up since uh, I think we got it around Thanksgiving. Cool. Um, it's been up long enough to have a strand of lights already die on us. Oh no. <laughs> so now we've had to go and you ever try to restrand lights over top ornaments? It's not a good idea. <laughs> Sounds like a fun experience. <laughs> oh yeah. Kids like it. So that's fine. Oh but. yeah. <laughs> well, we are also joined by horticulture educator, Ken Johnson. Ken, welcome to Good Growing Podcast. Thank you, Chris. Hello, Katie. Are, are you always excited, Ken, when you get a Christmas tree that there might be a praying mantis egg sack or something on there? I always hope for one, but I have, I have yet to get one in. Unfortunately, my wife is allergic to Christmas trees, so we have gone the route of artificial. Oh. Despite my, my kids and, and my protests, she believes that breathing is more important than our enjoyment of my Christmas tree. Oh, can they make shots for that kind of stuff? You know, that's okay. <laughs> She's on those. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to Becca. Well, uh, guys, are you ready to talk Christmas trees? We have got uh, quite a fun show packed for uh, listeners today and watchers. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can uh, dial in and see us either on YouTube or download us on the podcast platform of your choice, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google, it's up to you. Tell your smart speaker, say, hey, Alexa, or hey, Google, play the Good Growing Podcast. And guess what? You will hear our voices start coming out of your smart speaker. It's like magic. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our special guest today. We have Robert Richardson. Now, Robert is the president of the Illinois Christmas Tree Association, and uh, he's come to us today to talk to us about growing Christmas trees here in Illinois. So Robert, welcome to the show. Uh, well, thank you. I, I do have to make a few comments early that uh, being president of the Illinois Christmas Tree Growers that and a dollar will get you coffee at McDonald's. Oh. So it's a great title, but it's, it's not that interesting. Um, and I do have to make a confession in that I don't have my tree up yet. Uh, it's, a, it's a tradition right after Thanksgiving dinner that the family goes out and we all get our whatever trees we want. Um, but uh, we weren't able to do that this year, of course. And, and oftentimes, my wife and I will will pick out a tree and and get it cut in 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 the in the house, but we don't actually get a chance to decorate it for a while. So till things kind of settle down, which is they're starting to do now. So yeah, so I haven't got my tree yet, but soon. It's a little busy for you right now, isn't it? Yeah, it, is... it's starting to wind down a little bit now. Um, basically, as a Christmas tree grower, we have we have seven basic days to do most of our sales, which is the Thanksgiving weekend and the two weekends following. Um, that's for most of us. Now, uh, this year, being a COVID year, things are a little bit different in that we have increased sales during the week. And so um, that's made up for it to, to some extent. So, uh, but we've had not quite a record year, but that's mostly because I'm a little bit shy on trees. We, we made a mistake 12 years ago, didn't quite plant enough. And so now we're starting to harvest that mistake now that, or reap those rewards. Uh, but we did bring in a lot of pre-cut trees from Wisconsin. So that's helped a lot too. So uh, it's gonna be a fine year for us, no doubt. But I wish I had more trees, but that's kind of a universal um, wish of all of our tree growers in that uh, we wish we had more available to offer people. You mean you didn't know this is going to happen 12 years ago? Actually, we, we did. We were doing fine. We had, we've always had plenty of trees. And, and yes, at the end of the season, we always worry about whether there'll be enough for next year. And there always was. But uh, the last couple of years, it, 
we had to quit kind of early. Um, and so this next weekend will be our last weekend where normally we could go up pretty close to Christmas, but uh, we're gonna actually have a real close um, after this weekend, this, this Sunday coming up um, because our trees are getting shorter and we want people to, to pick out one that, they, that they're interested in, that'll make them happy. And after a while they get pretty short and that's next year's production too. So we don't want to cut into that too much. So um, it's, it's time, but it's, we've had a good year and, and it seems like people are coming out earlier and earlier to cut their own tree anyway. Uh, some folks can hardly wait till Thanksgiving. And uh, that's, the, that's when we open is Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. And that is the, the biggest sales day for a Christmas tree grower is that that black friday that's when uh our business starts out wide open and then it kind of tapers off as we get closer to christmas so did you see the sales taking off kind of right up right away um with cut trees this year sales just was booming yes um right uh right out of the gate uh, it was a little bit for us it was a little bit less than last year Last year was kind of an anomaly. We had just had fantastic sales on that first day and the first weekend. But uh, generally on uh, the Thanksgiving weekend, those three days, we sell probably close to 40% of our trees for the season. Um, and then the, uh, the next couple of weekends, things kind of taper off and, and we used to have just uh, oh, 10, 15, maybe 20 trees a day during the week after, after school and people would come out and get a, a tree at the last minute. But it uh, seems like this year during the week, we've been selling 120, 130 trees every day during the week. And so it kind of shifted a little bit away from the weekends, which is really a good thing for us anyway. But it's been it's been a good season, no doubt. Um, we just we're trying to catch up. We've been planting a lot of seedlings the last several years, and eventually we'll catch up with the demand. But um, it's a nice thing about the Christmas tree business. It, it seems to be uh, a good demand for a live tree. Um, continues to grow. I think the interest in it is is better and better. So I think it's a good business to be in. So Robert, I'm, I'm curious, uh, part of the Illinois Christmas Tree Growers Association, are you hearing from others around the state also that it's it's been a, a pretty good year? Um, and is that kind of what the, the thermometer is? That's what we're sort of hearing nationwide, at least. Yeah, well, I, I haven't haven't polled our, our membership yet, but usually it, they kind of have gone along with the same process, same uh, results that we have <clears throat> in years past. Uh, usually the end of January, we have a little convention, get together and share stories of how, how everybody did. And, and it seems like if, if one person's having a good year, we all are really. Um, it's it's kind of universal throughout the state um, uh, that the demand for a live tree is there. And I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed in that, is that there aren't more growers participating uh, in this because, well, I, I, you know, I'm prejudiced. I think it's a great industry to be in. Um, I have a brother who's a school teacher and that kind of works well into his uh, schedule in that, you know, he can plant trees at Easter and take care of them during the summer and then sell them on weekends in the fall and that works out pretty well for him. And you don't have to be a big producer, but um, the hardest part is waiting for those trees to grow. Uh, right now we've planted a lot of trees, but we still have to wait seven, eight, nine years for them to be old and are large enough to be taken as a Christmas tree. So that's the hard part is waiting for that, especially that first season when you're ready to sell something. But um, I think the demand for a live tree is, is there if we can provide it. And that's, that's why I feel kind of bad about, you know, I know the artificial Christmas tree business is kind of, they advertise a lot up here in the Chicago area. And so that's kind of taking over some of it. Um, 
and then some of our smaller producers uh, have dropped out for whatever reason, either the, they got tired of it, you know, tired and retire, or the, the kids didn't want to take it over or something. But, uh, there's a number of producers that just sell a few hundred trees a year, and that's all they're happy to do, and that's fine. Um, I wish there were more of them, though. Yeah, I've, I've seen a few uh, Christmas tree farms actually here in McDonough County, the 4-H program, they planted uh, trees for a, they're going to do it as a fundraiser. Yeah. That was in 1940. They'd never <laughs> harvested. So you can go back the extension office here, go into the woods and it's nothing but honeysuckle and multi-floor rows, but you get into this grove, this straight lines of, I think there's cedar trees yeah. And it's like you step into Narnia or something. It's like a, a totally different, there's a, a stark contrast between deciduous forest and suddenly you're in like a dense, uh, uh, like uh, evergreen coniferous hardwood forest. It's, it's crazy. And it's, it's interesting to see that contrast when you let a tree farm kind of go, go that way. But um, yeah, just, just sharing kind of what, what it looks like in the future. I, I, I was curious though, Robert, um, in terms of tree farms in Illinois, yeah, are, are a lot of them, you know, like for cut trees? Is it go out, cut your own trees? What, what kind of tree farmers do you typically see in Illinois? I, I think for the most part, the, the farmers in this state are uh, choose and cut farming where you will give you a saw and you go out and find your own tree and cut it down. Um, there, there aren't too many there's a few, but not many that actually wholesale trees out to, to other other tree growers or other uh, lots per se. There's a few lots around, but um, most of the farms in Illinois, I think, are a choose and cut where you go out and do that. And actually, many of us actually bring in trees from other states. Um, some, well, all the magazines tell you to buy Fraser fir, and so all of our customers they come up. But we get kind of tired of the F word after a while. <laughs> where are your Fraser firs? And um, a Fraser fir is a, is a is a great tree, but it doesn't grow real well in in, in Illinois. It will grow uh, up in the north where I am, but they tend to be kind of narrow and, and a little bit thin looking. Um, but they're fine trees. <clears throat> But they're not a tree that you would get out of North Carolina or even northern Wisconsin or northern Michigan. And so uh, there are alternatives that will grow better here. There's a, a number of varieties of trees that we, we have about eight different varieties on the farm, but um, there's a canane fir, which is a cousin to the Fraser, and it just grows better here and it looks essentially the same. It's, you really couldn't tell a difference between that and a Fraser fir. Um, so there are alternatives to the different varieties other than just a Fraser, but a Fraser is a fine tree. But if we do get a pre-cut tree, bring it down from Wisconsin or Michigan, uh, generally we're going to be looking for a Fraser because they are good trees and that's what people are asking for. Um, but uh, the, the farms themselves, if they don't have enough to supply their customers with a choose and cut tree, then they'll, they'll bring in some pre-cuts like we have, like most everybody has, I think a lot. Down in, in uh, the southern part of Illinois, uh, they really can't grow firs at all very well. So they have a lot of pines and some, some spruces and things and different varieties, but uh, they can't grow the Fraser fir or the Canaan very well down there. I think it's too hot during the summer. But there's, there's choices. I was gonna uh, mention at, uh, Kenneth, you said your wife had some allergies. Um, and so my wife also, my and oldest boy, uh, were allergic to uh, many trees also. And we found that the white pine and con color fir tend to be hypoallergenic. Now, it's, you know, it's not to say that you won't have an allergic reaction to them, but those two varieties seem to be less allergenic than um, some of the other varieties. And so uh, anything other than a, we use a, our favorite tree now is a con color fir. And uh, any tree other than that or a white pine, and 
within a couple of days, my wife will have a cold or sniffles. And, yeah, but, the, but those two don't bother her. So I'm just going to make a suggestion. You might want to try that sometime. I'll, I'll start hinting at those. <laughs> right, hint at those and see if, if she's not too drastically allergic to it. They may work for you. No guarantee, but it's worth a try. There's, there's hope for next year. There is hope. <laughs> so, Robert, you said con color fur is kind of, is that one of your favorites? Is that sort of the top seller and gr the one you grow the most? Well, um, you know, we grow quite a few of them. Um, again, the, everybody wants the Fraser fur. That's what we hear more than anything else. And we do have some. And if you, that's what you're looking for, that's fine. But an alternative, and the tree that we grow more than any is a canane fir. It's a C-A-N-A-A-N. And it's kind of a cousin to the Fraser. Uh, but it looks, it grows better here. It's more full, uh, grows a little faster for us. Um, and frankly, you really cannot tell the difference between that and a Fraser. So over half the trees that we plant are canane fir. And then um, try to give have enough varieties for so that people have a choice of what trees they want. Not everybody has the same idea of what a perfect Christmas tree should look like. And so uh, we'll have the, the con colors we like. Uh, con color is a fur in that, but the needles on it are fairly long compared to the other furs. So needle is basically about like a scotch pine. Uh, but they're they're not prickly. They're very they're kind of leathery feeling to it. You have stiff branches. All of the firs are going to have kind of a citrusy, orangey type aroma to them. So when you bring them into the house and you're decorating them, you should be able to smell this orange scent throughout the house. And um, so that's that's one of the firs. And then we have I have some Douglas fir. That was our first short needled fir tree. And it's always done pretty well for us. It's a little bit lighter color, a little bit lighter branching than on the Canaan's or the or the Frasers, but it's a fine, nice full tree. Uh, we do have some blue spruce. Uh, if you've ever harvested a blue spruce, they're they're wicked sharp, and you kind of almost need need leather gloves to decorate those things. Um, but they have stiff branches and a good place for ornaments and. And it seemed like many of the East Europeans in particular like the spruces, uh, but they tend to be prickly. Um, blue spruce isn't too bad for needle retention, um, but the spruces in general uh, don't hold their needles as well as the firs and pines do. Um, so we don't want people to harvest those too early before Christmas because uh, we have some Norway spruce, which are beautiful trees they are nice and dense and everything but um, they just don't hold the needles very well and so every tree has got you know strong points and its weak points and so we try to uh, give you a choice of what you like we've been well last year i think was the first year there's a uh, a hybrid variety of uh, we have a what is it it's a uh, balsam cork bark, or no, Korean cork bark, um, which is another another fur, of course, but uh, hopefully it, it grows better than the Korean part of it. And, and so there's, there's new varieties coming slowly uh, into the market that may have some, uh, we can get rid of some of these bad qualities uh, from, you know, kind of breed them out of them a little bit. And so there'll be more possibilities of, of what is available uh, in the future. Definitely. I, I've seen some really cool uh, Korean hybrids with different needle color even. Uh, yeah. that, that, they've been some pretty neat uh, advances in breeding, uh, crossing with the Korean varieties. That's what we're just starting. There's a, a grower in, um, in Quebec, Canada, who does a lot of this and, and has a a lot of varieties available. Um, well, not really available, but he, he has a lot of varieties that, and he's starting to sell more and more of those uh, hybrids. And so um, I was able to get 500 last year and uh, get another 500 this year. And hopefully that will 
that will take off. We've got to try them out first. An old-fashioned tree people used to have more than anything else was a scotch pine. Um, and they're fine trees too. Uh, they tend to be about as wide as they are tall. They're a big, heavy tree for having ornaments, but oftentimes the trunk is crooked. And so we have to be a little bit careful of that. And so we've quit growing the scotch pine now. And so we're hoping some of these hybrids or the, the con color actually kind of looks a little bit like a uh, scotch pine. And so that's going to be our alternative. So we want to offer our customers choices so that there's not just one type of tree available, although the Fraser Canane is the most popular. Uh, but again, um, being at the northern part of the state, I can grow especially Canaanes quite well. Um, and even down into the middle of the state, they can grow them. I'm not so sure about the southern part of the state. Uh, they may not be able to grow uh, canane anyway because it's a fur and it's just a little bit south for them. So they'll have some other varieties that they'll be able to grow better. So it kind of depends on, on what region you're in and what your customers expect. I'm kind of curious, Robert, you mentioned, you know, kind of the, the plight of this year and thinking back, you know, upwards of 12 years ago, what of what could have been or what, what should have been. Can you take me through like the process of growing a Christmas tree? Uh, you know, so you plant a, a, a cutting or a, like a rooted cutting okay. and from, from there until harvest. Is that, I mean, that sounds like decade, like a decade at least. Well, it's, uh, the pines grow faster than the firs and spruces do, but uh, we plant seedlings. Um, we don't start them from seed, although there's a few places that do, but for the most part, there are nurseries that will go out into the forest and collect pine cones off of nice trees and bring them back to the greenhouse, start them from seed there, and then different seedling beds. And after three or four years, they're going to sell them to guys like me, and they're going to be 12 to 18 inches tall and generally they come bare root which there's no dirt on the roots and so we plant them fairly soon after we get them and that's usually around uh, for me it's around uh, sometime in April the middle of April even towards the end of April um, where the ground is dried out enough after after winter so that we can work it up and get ready to plant our our little tree our seedlings from um, Many farmers, uh, when you cut down a Christmas tree the next year, uh, he can put a little seedling next to that old stump. And, and that's fine, especially if he doesn't have much land to work with. But now that seedling has to compete with the bigger trees around it. Um, and then when you're looking at the big trees, you're not going to watch where you're going and you'll step on some of them and break them and stuff. But uh, so many farms do that. But we have the luxury of having enough space that we tend to plant in blocks. And so uh, an entire block or at least a half a block will be the same variety, same age of, of tree. And so we use a tree planter and it's just a simple machine. It makes a slice in the ground. It's just a few inches wide and in about a, oh, eight, 10 inches deep. And then um, every five or six feet, uh, the little bell goes off. We stick the roots of our seedling down into that slot. And as the machine moves forward, there's a big wheel on the back that'll push the dirt close and kind of get our seedling planted. So we have to uh, uh, prepare the ground first, of course. And uh, instead of working into sod, sod's a little bit hard to replant into. You can, you can use a shovel or a spade or something and plant a, if you're just doing a few seedlings, but it's a lot of work and it's time consuming. So uh, we work up the ground so that it's bare ground um, and I guess I should go back a little bit further in that if it's a piece of ground that's had trees previously, there's going to be some stumps out there. So we have to cut off the stumps so that you don't trip on them and, and uh, we don't hit them with the machinery. But we'll dig up the stumps or, or grind out the stumps, actually, and then work up that ground with a, a big disc and a rototiller so we have a fine seed bed. And then uh, our tree planter will come through and we'll plant those seedlings. And just after we plant them, we go by one more time uh, by, on foot to make sure that they're standing up straight. And then we take the heel of our boot and pack the dirt around that seedling so it has good soil contact with the roots. You know, roots can't grow through the air, so they have to have contact with the soil and pick up moisture and nutrients. 
Um, so that's then once we have them planted, now we have to start to take care of those trees. And um, I'm talking personal experience. And I think most other farms are kind of doing the same basic uh, process, but um, we have a big, the thing we fight more than anything are the weeds. Weeds grow faster than our seedlings do and they would shade it from a lot of the sunlight and take some of the moisture and nutrients away. So we try to keep the weeds suppressed throughout most of the growing season after we plant our, our seedlings. Um, we have too many that we can just use a hoe to hoe around the things. And so we use the same farm chemicals that we put on corn and soybeans and they don't hurt the trees either. And uh, we'll spray uh, on either side of our, our row of seedlings and that'll keep the weeds down. Now, as you know, chemicals don't last a really long time. They decompose fairly quickly. And so um, we'll have to spray a couple of times, maybe even three times throughout the growing season to keep the weeds down. We don't wanna spray chemicals over the whole field and have bare ground every place because then we have soil and water erosion. And so we keep the strip of grass in between those rows, kind of hold everything in place. <clears throat> and we'll come back the next year. So, you know, the tree's just kind of getting established the first year or two, getting its roots down in there. Uh, we can come by the next year and make sure that it's growing properly. Um, I, I tell all the school, school kids that um, they're all familiar with that little sprig at the top where you put the angel or the star. That's called the leader. And a uh, Christmas tree, just like any group or organization or school, needs a leader to show it which way to grow. Once in a while, the leader gets damaged. And so uh, eventually, one of the lateral branches would kind of volunteer and turn upwards to become a leader. But we may speed that up a little bit, take a bamboo stick and tie it to our tree, bend up a lateral branch and train it to become a leader. So we're looking for one leader up through the middle of that tree. Uh, once in a while, we have a tree with too many leaders, and that's just as bad, but it's easier to fix. We take a hand pruner and clip out those extra leaders. Um, after a few years, um, well, then we'll start to trim them a little bit more. When we plant the seedlings, oftentimes there's some branches that are at or near ground level. And as that tree grows, those branches will not grow up with the tree. They're gonna grow out and they'll get bigger, but they're gonna be attached right at near the ground level where they are. And a lot of farms will leave those on, especially if they're wholesale farms. But after a few years, I'm gonna come along and take a hand pruner and clip off those bottom branches. So they'll have a space between the bottom branch and the ground. This lets the air circulate underneath there a little bit better. So I have less residue building underneath, keeps it dry a little bit better. When I spray my chemicals, I spray from the side so I can kind of tuck them underneath the tree a little bit better that way. And, uh, but most important when it comes time for our customers to go out and cut down that tree, there's, <laughs> excuse me, there's enough of a stump left over that you can uh, still cut down your tree and have a, uh, a stump to put into your tree stand. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no machine that'll do that for me. We just use the hand pruners and couple hours a day is about all I can stand to bend over, but we try to do that a little bit every day uh, throughout the, the summertime to trim those bottom branches. Yeah, the good old-fashioned hand pruners. I, There's nothing, got to have a good pruner. All the time, yes. Yep. Um, I, so I've seen videos of uh, ninjas in uh, Christmas tree yards with like samurai katanas and they're just hacking away, trimming this. Is that you? <laughs> uh, I don't have a ninja outfit, but uh, after four or five years or more, then we're going to start to trim the trees because they don't all grow into a natural Christmas tree shape. Some are kind of round and bushy and none of the, nobody wants a Christmas bush. They all want a Christmas tree. And so we have to trim them up a little bit. And some take more trimming than others. Uh, blue spruce tends to be naturally trimmed. And so that's why it's a good lawn tree that you don't really need to trim that at all. But many of the other varieties, we do have to trim them up in order to maintain their shape. And actually, um, as a Christmas tree grower, I'm actually gonna slow those trees down a little bit so they don't grow too fast. On, on some of the varieties, white pine in particular, that leader could be three or even four feet tall. And 
So that's how much space there would be between mm -hmm. the branches. And so they get stretched out too much. So we kind of slow them down a little bit, basically to 14, 15, 16 inches a year so that they'll, they'll be filled out. So yes, during the summer, after the new growth has come out for that season, we can clip off the tips of those branches and where we cut them off, that's where it will set buds for the next year. And so, yes, we use a, a it's a, not a machete, but it's a lightweight shearing knife. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they get trimmed around so that they maintain their shape and they kind of dense them up a little bit and keep them from going too far. And at the same time, we'll also be checking the leaders, make sure there's still only one leader. Um, and so that's what we're looking for. And you know, we don't want to do it too soon because then the trees get too dense. But after four or five years, we start to trim them up a little bit more until they're ready for harvest. Every tree has to be trimmed every year until um, you take it home for Christmas or you know, there's always a few of them that are too ugly, no matter what we do. And depending on the type, uh, we may be able to take that into the barn, cut it up into pieces. And that's what we make the uh, decorations out of the wreaths and mm -hmm. garland and stuff. We can't do it with all of them, but on, on some of the varieties, we can do that to some extent, kind of recycle those, those ugly trees if we can. Um, we don't have enough of those, which is a good thing. So we do go out and we buy boughs from Northern Wisconsin or in Michigan um, that they've taken off of uh, mature trees in the, oftentimes in the national forest. So get a permit to take boughs off. And so we buy bundles of boughs to bring in for our reef makers and, and uh, our garland maker. Um, so we try to use every bit as we can, uh, but we can't do it on all of the trees, just some of them. And that's pretty much it. It's gonna take, to grow a fir tree will take basically seven to eight years, maybe nine. It'll be about 10 or 12 years before we get an entire block cleared off and we can replant that block again. So the last, the last year or two, there's always a few trees left over and there's usually a reason why they're still there. Um, they're just not growing very well. And so we'll have to throw away a few of them. Um, but for the most part, we'll clear off a block <coughs> and then uh, we can replant that area. But it's going to take a little while. So we have to plan kind of, you know, 10, 8, 9, 10, 11 years in the future of what we think we can sell. And <laughs> that's always been a surprise because you don't know when we're going to peak. You know, how many trees can I sell? Well, it seems to keep on growing. I don't know it gets to be more and more all the time, which is why it's, it's a nice business to have because I think the demand for a live tree is there if I can grow them fast enough to, to, to uh, fill that demand. Mm -hmm. Hopefully there's not going to be a run on like Eastern red cedar or anything anytime soon. So <laughs> well, uh, I, I use that a lot because we have okay. so much of that. But yeah, those are not, they're, they're not as fun to play with. They're kind of like blue spruce for me. I, my, they're like pin cushions sometimes. Oh, okay. See, that's, I don't grow any of those. I don't have them up there, but you're, you're further south and firs are harder to grow. And so it kind of depends on your area and, and what your folks are, are used to seeing. Uh, most of the wholesale trees that have been brought in, pre-cut trees, probably a lot of the, the firs that those will come in from, they may come in from the Carolinas or West Virginia or Michigan. Michigan and Wisconsin are big tree states. And so they have uh, northern part of those states. They can grow trees wonderfully, but they don't have too many people to sell them to. Where here in Illinois, we've got the population to sell them to, but there's a lot of varieties that we can't grow or can't grow enough of. So we bring in extra ones. So it, it helps us all really. Yeah. I'm also thinking, I, I used to live in Kansas, and you always knew you went, got crossed into the Kansas border when all the trees were growing to the northeast, because the prevailing <laughs> wind comes out of the southwest and everything grows. It's so windy Kind of lean that way, do they? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I understand. I'm glad you asked the ninja question, because as soon as you start talking about <clears throat> pruning and stuff, it's the first thing I thought of was the there's a, guys in the fields with the swords. There's videos out there of some guy that does two-handed shearing. Yes. You know, he's yeah, Ben just... And I don't know how long you can keep up with that because 
I'm just a one-arm cheering guy. <laughs> and to be honest, um, we used to do all of our own shearing, uh, but now we actually hire a professional crew that will come in and they'll do most of the shearing. But some of the medium-sized trees, I don't want them to mess with too much yet. So I still do my share of, of trimming and shearing, but I can't get anybody to do the bottom part very well, bending over and trimming that. So I, uh, it's, it's hard to find help to do that. So I end up doing a lot of that, but uh, the, the bulk of the shearing itself there are a few places where you can hire a crew to come in to do to do that part of it. You still have to go through and make sure that they don't miss something or that you know, they're not going to trim it exactly the way you would. Um, but it's it's a big big help anyway. Mm -hmm. There are some machines that you can buy um, for trimming the trees. There's uh, like a, a a sickle bar with a engine on your back, and and there's a few people use those or a a heavy duty weed whacker type of thing that that works pretty good if you're not doing too many trees i think that's fine but most of them are kind of hot or heavy or noisy and, and so i think uh, in general most people trimming a significant number of trees are going to end up using uh, the good old reliable shearing knife uh, that you see on the videos uh, they work just as well as anything how long have you been in the christmas tree business and how many acres do you farm for Christmas trees? Okay, uh, well, we, we started planting about 1981. Uh, Dad got an idea. I don't know if he had some friends that were doing it or what, but he decided to put in some Christmas trees and, and we wanted to try that. And we did make some mistakes along. The biggest mistake was um, we had an open spot in our little woods. And so we planted a thousand Christmas trees in there. We planted them by hand planted them six by six, six feet by six feet. And, and then after we planted them, we went off and planted the uh, corn and the soybeans and, and came back a month or so later and we couldn't find the trees anymore. After he had he'd sprayed the grass with Roundup and so now all the weeds could finally see sunlight. And so they popped right up and, and outgrew the, the seedlings pretty quickly. And so we had to find a little seedling down there and take a hoe and we'd hoe around that. And then we could lay the hoe down this way and down that way. And there should be another tree down there. So then we'd hoe around that thing. And, and we did that for a thousand trees. And, and I think we did it twice. And then we decided we best start using chemicals. So we'd take a stove pipe and put over that seedling and spray around it with some atrazine or something. And, and so that's how we got started. And, and, and then we didn't really know. We just got the seedlings from the local conservation district um, as an experiment, but we didn't really know what we were doing, obviously. And so we joined the Christmas tree organization, the Illinois Christmas tree growers. And there's a, a Midwest group and a national group and start going to the different meetings and conventions. And that's where you learn how to grow a Christmas tree is you get to talk with folks and there is no right or wrong way in how to grow it. Everybody does things a little bit differently, whatever works for you. And then we kind of steal each other's ideas. And the nice thing about the Christmas tree organization, you know, wherever I've gone, is that everyone is, is more than willing to share their, their stories or their expertise. And, and we're, not, we're not really competing with each other because there's enough business out there that there's enough for everybody. We don't have to compete with the next door neighbor. And, and so um, everybody's willing to share what works for them and what doesn't. And so you can, you can learn that way of, of how you want to do things. Everybody does things a little bit different, but uh, it's worked out real well for us. So that was 81 is when we started. We sold our first trees in about 86 and we planted pines. And so they grow fairly quickly. And um, that's so we put up a sign on the couple of state roads that are, aren't far from us and, and see what happened. And people started coming in and, and uh, one thing led to another. And then we started, after a couple of years, we planted some more and, and kind of got bigger. And then we started planting in the corn ground. So we got serious about it and just expanded that business as it went. And, and uh, started had a little two-car garage that was our warming house the kids uh, 
gave out free cocoa from underneath the stairway from thermoses and stuff. And we made a couple of reads and, and we just we start learning how to, how to do things. And then as the business expanded, we had to build a bigger barn and then we added onto that barn and added onto that barn again. And, and so now we have a, a nice warming house. We make most of our own wreaths and, and roping. We do buy, we do buy a, a little bit of uh, balsam roping that we don't, we make white pine roping. Most of our wreaths are individually decorated. Um, so we kind of have a, that's what people come to expect from our place anyway, they individually decorated and, and they, they, my wife is the main bow maker and she's got a couple of people that help her make bows. And, and so that's become a good part of the business also in addition to the, the Christmas trees themselves. So it's just the whole business has kind of expanded and I'm in a, a good location, uh, you know, the north side of Chicago and there's a lot of suburbs and um, housing around us. And within an hour, hour and a half drive, um, there's quite a few people. So there's no real competition. So <laughs> uh, as far as us tree farmers go. And so um, anyway, we like it. It's, it's done well for us. And that's continued to expand. So um, a couple of years ago, we sold about 8,000 trees in one year. And uh, last year it was down about 6,700 trees we sold. This year it looks like we're gonna have about 7,000 trees we're selling. Um, Black, Black Friday, last year we sold um, just over 2,200 trees in one day which was just crazy. We just <laughs> couldn't believe it. Uh, this year was just under 2000 trees on Black Friday. So it's a busy day. We start out as fast as we can go. Um, and then it, 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 so again, that three day weekend, we sell probably 40% of our trees. And then it kind of tapers off as we get closer to Christmas. Uh, so it's, it's a nice business, it's busy, but, <coughs> um, it, it quit. I, the nice thing about it is that it, it quits when it gets dark and it gets dark early. So uh, we can still go home and have supper and put your feet up where we have a corn maze just before Thanksgiving and that can run all night long if you want it to. So uh, we kind of like the shorter hours of the Christmas tree business, but everybody's happy and they're friendly and um, we've done our best to, to separate people. So, you know, from the social distancing thing, uh, if you come into any of our buildings, you need to wear a mask. But um, being outside and walking through the fields, and, and if you're on the wagon, you need to ride. We have wagon rides out to the fields, too. Um, uh, but the, the, our, our customers continue to come back year after year, and we get new ones um, all the time. And it's mom and dad, the kids, grandma and grandpa, and they bring the dog. We have lots of dogs out. We allow dogs are fine as long as they're on a leash. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's become uh, quite a, a family outing to go out and pick out the tree for that Christmas and bring it back to the, you know, ride on the wagon behind the tractor and bring it back and we'll shake out the loose needles and wrap it in netting and everybody gets hot cocoa afterwards. So it's a good start to the Christmas season. I want to come and visit. So <laughs> that sounds amazing. So you're not only selling trees, you're selling you're selling memories and experiences. It's, it's agritourism to its core. That's perfect. It's kind of a cliche, but we really are. I mean, you can get trees at Walmart and, and, and uh, Menards, and, and they're fine trees. There's nothing really wrong with them. Um, but when you come out to a place like us, like most of the Illinois growers, you're coming out to cut your own tree, and you can walk outside and get some sunshine and, you know, some people can pick out the perfect tree in 10 minutes and others take some two hours, but we don't care. Just come out and enjoy yourself and find a tree that you like. Years ago, we had one customer that came after work and he had a change of clothes in the back of his car and he went out and we didn't see him for a couple hours. We were kind of getting worried about him, <laughs> but he came back eventually with a tree and, and he said he just was walking around until he found a tree that spoke to him. And that was the important part. That's how I picked out his tree. Just, a little Zen thing going on. And so it worked out fine that way. So um, everybody has their own 
reasons for coming. Some have a, a multifamily party or they have wait for the college kids to come back uh, oftentimes from college. Uh, not so much this year, but most years. And uh, it, it becomes an outing and it's a, it's a tradition for many folks. And, and so we try to make that as easy as you can. Uh, again, our, uh, um, we never have enough of the right kind of trees big enough, but we're trying, we're trying. And, uh, but it's, it's just, it's a nice business. Everybody's happy and we do the best. National Christmas tree growers have a program, Trees for Troops. And um, it's been very successful. And there's a couple of pickups uh, spots in Illinois. We are one, and the other one is down by Springfield. Um, but uh, growers will donate, and and even some of our customers can can donate a tree or the cost of a tree um, <laughs> to be sent to the different uh, air bases and and military bases around around this country and some overseas also. Um, we happen to be only about 20 miles from Great Lakes Naval Training Center, uh, North Chicago. And so we are able, in addition to just donating the trees, uh, we go over and help distribute the trees to, this, to the sailors. And so we just did that last week. And um, it's, it's just nice to, to find your, your end customer. Mm -hmm. Now our trees, it's odd that our trees went up into Wisconsin, some Port McCoy or someplace I think up in there um, rather than the Great Lakes and the trees that we distributed at Great Lakes actually were Canadian balsams that came from someplace. That, um, but, but they were fine trees, but it's, it's nice to see the, the young families come out. And, and so we go over and make a fresh cut and, and talk to them about the different kinds of trees that are available or how big they want for their house. And many times these are all young families and they've never picked out a Christmas tree before. They don't know much about it. And, and so it's, it's nice to talk with those folks, but <clears throat> that's a good program that National offers. Uh, we have had, I know a couple years ago, we had a, an ex-soldier said he was over in Afghanistan and one of the trees for troops, uh, trees were was there at the base and it kind of brought home to them, to the soldiers so far away. This is a part of home and reminds them of, reminds them of that too. So um, it kind of brings everything together. So it's just another thing that we can do. Um, try to encourage more growers to donate more trees. It's been a good program, uh, but it's kind of fun too, to, just to help see those new families uh, in addition to our own customers. When they come and pick up the tree and the young kids are all excited and who gets to cut down the tree and sometimes they take turns sawing it down and see how far they can go but um, it's a it's uh, i'm kind of repeating myself now and that it's just everybody's happy at that time at this time of year and um, it's not very long and the new year will be here and, and we can we'll start again we have more trees planted for next year. We'll plant more and more until we catch up with the demand. Well, that sounds like a, a wonderful gift. You know, my wife was a contractor at Fort Riley. I think the, the things we don't remember or realize all the time is that a lot of the, the soldiers, they're, they're young. They're fresh out of high school. They're, they're, they've left home. And this uh, Christmas tree during the holidays, that can be a wonderful, just kind of, touch back to, yeah. uh, you know, the years past. Yeah. They can reconnect with the home mm -hmm. no matter where they are in the world, really. Yeah. Um, or in different part of the country, but um, yeah, it's a good program. So we've, we've done that also. We're participating in that since they started really. My sister-in-law is on the uh, Christmas tree promotion board. And so she helps, keeps us going on that too. Well, it's a whole family affair, it sounds like there. So yeah, well, it's a family farm that we're mm -hmm. at. There's my brother and I, and then his son. So there's three families on the farm. Um, it's just we grew up. This was a homestead farm, mm -hmm. and so we've been there since 1836, oh, 1840. Wow. So um, 
we're just not farming like grandpa used to anymore. We farm <laughs> a little bit different, but we're still here. So. Uh, that's what we do. Well, very good. Well, and we can also link to Trees for Troops uh, to their online thing. page. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Robert, I feel like we could talk forever about Christmas trees and growing them, but we are also a question and answer show. So wondering oh. if you might help us answer some of these questions that have come in uh, through various means, whether through social media or into the extension office. So um Ken, would you mind kicking us off with uh, our first question here from Facebook? Sure. So uh, this person has a question. Um, is this true? Um, before watering your tree, boil the water first, let it stand for five minutes, and then water the tree. Uh, supposedly this will keep the sap from getting hard and allow the water um, to be taken up easier. And, and the, the reasoning is that cold water will clog up the openings um, with sap and your tree is going to die quicker. Well, I don't know about dying quicker, but I've heard that before. I use, use hot water or warm water to put on the tree, kind of loosens things up a little bit initially. After that, you're just going to use regular water. Um, and I suppose that wouldn't hurt. I've, I've not heard about boiling it for, and then leave it sit for five minutes, but um, that would probably be fine. Uh, most important part though is to never let it go dry because the first week in particular that tree could take up a lot of water and so you need to keep track if it ever gets out of water then presumably you, you should make a, a fresh cut on the bottom to open up those vessels again to start, start taking up water but nobody's going to do that because you, you got to decorate it already so um, so just don't let it run out of water. That's the most important part. And if you use warm water, I, I know we've done that too. Um, maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't. Um, and you have to remember that um, the trees aren't stamped out of a factory. They're all a little bit different. Some will take up water like crazy and some will take up a little bit. Some just decide they don't. But um, it's not uncommon to have a tree take up a lot of water and every once in a while you get one that even starts to grow a little bit, even inside. But for the most part, you know, you're bringing it into the house where it's a dry, warm environment. And, and so they need a lot of water in particular the first, when they first start out. Uh, I know there's some, some preservative things you can put in the water. I've never used them. Um, maybe they work. I, I don't really have an opinion one way or another about those. Uh, most important than anything else is just get some water on it. Make it, When you get it home, if you can make a fresh cut on the bottom, take off three quarters or an inch so that you open up those vessels, get it in some water. If it's warm water, that's fine. That will kind of loosen things up maybe a little bit more. But get it in some water and then make sure it doesn't go dry. And that's that's the most important part of the whole process. Also, it depends on where you have your tree. Um, <clears throat> obviously, don't put it next to the fireplace, but don't put it next to a, a heating vent or in the south exposed window. Um, you're just going to cook the thing and it'll take up that much more water. So um, if you can't put it up right away, maybe you put it in the garage. Uh, we, we, most of the trees you get home are bundled up. And so you can put them in the garage, someplace where they're out of the sun and out of the wind, so they won't dry out too fast. And then when you do bring them into the house, if you can make a fresh cut on the bottom and then get some water in it, so it'll start drinking water. Uh, that's the most important part of it. To continue with water, we have a question from Morgan County. What about other additives to add to the water, such as aspirin or bleach? Does that work? Or is that something that we shouldn't be doing? Um, I've, I've never tried it. I'd be a little bit nervous about it, especially the bleach part. Um, I think my, my wife, in, before we got married, long before we got married, uh, she put in some, uh, you're supposed to put like sugar water and then maybe some aspirin or something too. And it might just, it, well, whatever she did, it just smelled really bad and changed it. So. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd be kind of leery of aspirin. I can't see why that would work, tell you the truth. 
Um, bleach doesn't seem like the right thing to do to put on a, on a plant. Um, if you can have some pure, clean water, that's all the thing really wants. It's not going to last forever, but it starts taking up moisture, and especially it's in your dry house. And so that'll prolong its life. It should go through the whole season, all, all past Christmas and into the new year without too much problem if you can get it drinking water. But some of these additives, I know this is everybody has their own cocktail to, to do that sort of thing, but I'd be a little bit nervous about that. I'm not sure it would be worthwhile. Probably somebody will call up and say you're a liar, but I've never <laughs> I don't know. So every, everything I've seen on the additives is that bleach, aspirin, sugar water, the commercial ones, they never, the trees never last as long compared to just regular water. So that's your best bet. Yeah. I kind of be with, would be surprised to tell you the truth, but um, I won't say no, but again, it's just water. That's what it wants. That's what it's been drinking all its life. It's just plain rainwater. So if you can give it some water, that's what the tree wants. All right. So this one is kind of universal this year with a lot of people buying trees for the first time. And you've kind of touched on this a little bit already. Um, so what are some, what are some things that you can do to help keep your tree lasting as long as possible and looking good? For the, one of the first things is go out to a choose and cut Christmas tree farm and cut your own because that's as fresh as that tree could ever get. Um, and if you, if you're not able to do that, or if you do get one from one of the lots and, and I'm not going to badmouth the Christmas tree lots because those trees are, are fine too. Uh, they may be a little bit older. Um, nobody really knows how old the pre-cut is when we bring them in on a semi because, uh, that wholesaler is just, they cut those trees and put them into a big pile and then they take them out of the big pile. So nobody knows exactly when that tree was cut. And some can get harvested fairly early in the season. So um, there'd be a little bit on the old side sometimes, but uh, if you want a, a tree to last as long as possible, then <laughs> I would cut your own at a tree farm. And then again, it's a bit of a variety thing. The spruces won't hold their needles as well as the, the firs and pines. So if you can, if you, if that suits you, uh, that, that would be better still. And then when you get it home, if you can make a fresh cut on the bottom before you put it in the tree stand, whether it's right away or if you have to leave it in the garage for a few days, that's it shouldn't make much difference, but uh, get it drinking water, whatever you do. Uh, even if you buy a, a pre-cut tree from a lot, you're still gonna need to make a fresh cut on that bottom of that stump so that you can open up those vessels because they've sealed up with the sap and stuff. And so open that tree up and get it, get it watered and then uh, have it in a place where it doesn't have sunlight shining on it. It's not next to a heating vent or a heat source of some kind so that it won't dry out prematurely that way. And uh, most trees should last throughout the season. Once in a while you get one, no matter what, that just decides to die right away, but that's unusual. Um, you get a fresh cut tree and it should last the whole season, um, more or less, depending on the number of little varieties or uh, conditions there, but um, they should last fine for you. So our next question comes from McDonough County and they're asking, can I burn my Christmas tree in my home fireplace <laughs> once <laughs> I'm done with it? Um, I wouldn't if I were you. Um, I'm pretty sure the insurance company would just kind of faint if you heard that you were doing that. Um, they can be quite combustible and, and you certainly don't want to start with a chimney fire. So it would be best is after you take that Christmas tree down, um, you can put it in the backyard and use it for feeding the squirrels or the birds or something on it if you want, or put it out and, or take it down to a recycling center and there they will chop it up and turn it into mulch. And some places they'll give you the mulch back to put on your flower bed and otherwise they'll, they'll use it someplace else. But you can recycle that tree, uh, get it chopped up and, and turned into mulch. But to, to try to burn it up, that's kind of asking for problems, I think, later on. Don't do that, no. I don't want to do that at all. A little too resinous there, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of resin in it and this it's, um, oftentimes, you know, they won't burn as well as you think they will sometimes. 
um, oftentimes those trees are still green um, at the end af after Christmas and they, they may not burn all that well or, or if they're dried out really quite a bit, then they're just gonna almost explode. So in either case, it, they don't make good firewood. So just take it outside as, as soon as you're done with it and uh, either use it as a animal refuge or, or have it recycled in the, in the chips is the best thing to do. All right, and then our last question comes from Adams County. Uh, this person wants to know, um, they wanna grow their own uh, live Christmas tree uh, but will digging it up damage the roots? Um, well, you can. Um, we had a friend some years ago that did a few of them and for the most part they lived, but it doesn't, it doesn't work very well for many people um, because yes, you are gonna damage the roots, uh, but the biggest problem is that um, you dig up, you've got a 300 pound ball of dirt you have to drive a, a drag across the living room carpet. Um, and you can only keep a live tree like that in the house for, you know, a week, maybe 10 days at the most. And you have to have a hole that's kind of pre-dug. If you put it in the garage, then those, you know, the roots are going to perhaps get freezer burn on them. Um, so if you pre-dig the hole, and so that you can put it in the hole and kind of get it warmed up a little bit that way. But it, it's a lot of stress for a tree to go through. You've trimmed off the roots, you put it in a dry environment. It's not been able to take up much moisture and now it's kind of start all over in the middle of winter. And you, you can do it, but oftentimes it doesn't work very well. Um, it's a nice idea to have a fresh tree, um, but that shouldn't, people shouldn't be overly concerned about, about cutting a tree down and, and then throw it away a month or so later, because uh, for most of us, this is just a crop. It's just like corn and soybeans um, in that for every tree that you cut down, I'm gonna plant one or two or three more in its place. <coughs> and, and uh, they're going to grow and while they're growing they're you know they're cleaning the air taking carbon dioxide and give off oxygen and they're a refuge for any number of wildlife of you know rabbits and birds and things in there um so we it's it's a crop for the farmer for one thing um and it's just a lot easier to do so don't feel bad about cutting down a tree and using it uh just for one season um it it has been done where you can put a live tree in the house, but you can't keep it there very long. And it's a lot of, a lot of more work too, because like I said, you got a big ball of dirt you have to take care of, and then you have to replant that right away. If, if you were in the Southern part of the state, maybe you could get away with it a little bit better. I don't know, but up here in the Northern part, it's pretty hard to do. To plant a tree in the middle of winter, um, I wouldn't expect good results, except very rarely. Well, that was a lot of great information. Robert Richardson, farmer, grower, and president of the Illinois Christmas Tree Growers Association. Thank you so much for being on the Good Growing Podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. And, and I'd like to encourage everybody, uh, all the farmers out there, if they want to try growing some Christmas trees, that's perfectly fine and, and not going to hurt anybody's feelings we we could it's not competition for us and uh, but the best way to learn is to just to start planting some and you'll make some mistakes along the way but if you join the Illinois Christmas tree growers or any of the couple other organizations and start talking with the farmers of, of how they grow things you can learn a lot that way and try to avoid some of the mistakes that we've made and, and then you can choose and pick you know, what works best for you and how you want to do that. Um, but uh, growing a Christmas tree is a nice business and um, it takes a little time. It's not, it's not a terrible amount of work, but it, it, you know, it's like anything else. If you do it well, it takes some, takes some time and takes some work, but I would encourage people to do that if they'd like. Uh, but other than that, I appreciate everybody who's 
comes to our farms and and like I said, it's a crop for us. We're going to harvest that and make people happy. And it's a nice time of year. Everybody's having a good time and, and we really like or enjoy doing it. So uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This opportunity to tell our little story. I, um, I talk about Christmas trees pretty easily because uh, it's a nice business and I really like it. So thank you everybody for, for listening. Well, thank you. And we will put a link to the, your website down in the show notes below so people can check out. There's a lot of good information on your website, too. We've used some of that to develop even some extension programming. So, yeah, thank you so much. Well, the Good Growing Podcast is produced by Wendy Ferguson and edited by me, Chris Enroth. A huge thanks goes out to Ken Johnson, Katie Parker, our co-hosts with us every single week to steer us through the topics of the choosing here that we have chosen to give unto you. Katie Ken, thank you so much. Thank you, Robert, so much for joining us. It was great to learn about your operations. Good luck with the rest of your growing season. Ken, Chris, it's always good to see you each week. Yes, Robert, thank you. I, I learned quite a bit. And Chris and Katie, thanks. Let's do it again next week. <laughs> oh, we shall do this again next week. We'll be talking with Peggy Doty, environmental educator, about critters in our backyard that might be taking bites out of our landscape, plants, well, everything, even houses. I've been, I've had a house attacked by a woodpecker once. So Peggy is going to be here to answer our questions about those wild critters. And listeners, thank you for doing what you do best, and that is listening. And if you are watching us on YouTube, watching, and as always keep on growing.